This is CliffCentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law. Like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life. With Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg, and this is the Laws of Life on com. Alongside me today, Lionel Makoko Klela. Welcome, Lions. Thank you, Gary Dumela, and Dumela to our guests today and to our podcasters. And today, yes, we are going to be talking about a very interesting topic. Yeah, today's show is about legal costs and lawyers. Why do they charge so much? <laughs> Everyone says that. So we've invited a whole bunch of people into the studio, including myself. There are three lawyers here. Today we're going to ask uh, what do lawyers charge, what can they charge, and what are they charging? Hmm. And lines joining me in studio today are guest attorneys. First of all, it's Lucas Moalusi. He's a partner at Fasken Martino. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Uh, it's a leading international business law and litigation firm. It has more than 700 lawyers worldwide, I think. Whoa. It has offices in Canada, the United Kingdom, South Africa. It's one of the first international law firms to be established in South Africa. Lovely. That's great. Thank you, Gary. Yeah. Lucas uh, is a member of the Law Society's Fee Assessment Committee. That's why he's here today. He specializes in his, in his practice in mining law and traditional communities governance. Lovely. Hmm. He's an expert in traditional leadership legislation. Great to have you in studio. You really are a bit of a star for us lawyers. Uh, Good on you. Thank you, and hope I'll add some value to the listeners. Thank you. I'm sure you will. Also with us is a man who has 37 years of legal experience. He is Jaime Chait, C-H-A-I-T. He's of the firm Fairbridges Wertime Becker. He's a member of the Law Society's Fee Assessment Committee as well. Fairbridges, line you're going to enjoy this, was first established in 1812. Gee. Yeah. So they come with their ready-made victory song by Tchaikovsky that <laughs> celebrates uh, their formation. Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture, that's the um, same date as Fair Bridges was established in 1812. That's how long they go back. No, guys, this was not yeah. classic FM. It's yeah. still the laws of life, but 
Classic music does something yeah, to me. On Cliff Central, we do it all. Hip-hop to classics. That's right. Do you guys play the song when you win a case? You know, with the cannons? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. Thank so, you, Gary. Thanks yeah, for that reception. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> well, you know, it's a bit of a self-indulgent because I love that song as a little boy. My, my dad used to play it to me, so um, I know Tchaikovsky. Some of the questions that we'll be answering today have been posted by members of Legal Talk South Africa on its Facebook page. And Lion, can you believe that they know over 120,000 people, members, and growing daily? Like I said, Gary, this is a great relationship that we have or partnership that we have with them because we can really grow so much and we are sharing the, so much information with them and they are actually adding value so far as making sure that we have the right lawyers who are actually going to address their issues. Yeah, each, week, yeah, each week, Lines, we, you've seen we bring in the best of the best oh, to discuss the topics that have been raised by members on Legal Talk and then we play it back to them on their page. So it's um, it's working. I think between them and us, we are really developing quite a name uh, in answering legal issues. That's right. Lange, you want to give out our Twitter handle? Our Twitter handle is at, at Hetzlaw, uh, H-E-R-T-Z-L-A-W. Our email address is law at cliffcentral.com. And our Facebook page, if you wouldn't mind giving it a little like is the laws of life with Gary Hertzberg. And you are more than welcome to really post any topics that you would like us to tackle on the show and that's going to be free of charge and you get free legal advice from the legal specialist within the specific area of the questions that you are actually asking us. Ray Green, the founder of Legal Talk, wrote or he posted something on their page saying that uh, he can't wait to hear the show because legal fees have got to come down. Oh. Now, you know, it's like data must come down, legal fees have got to come down. We have gents... Attorneys here from two of the biggest firms in Johannesburg, so I don't know, you know, whether their fees will come down, but they are specialists in their field. You won't, you won't get mining lawyers in a hurry. And have you seen the development that is taking place within uh, CBD, Santon? Yes. Law firms are actually building gigantic buildings. So where are they going to get the money to finance those buildings? Oh, that's the whole thing, Lions. Mm. Let's take a question here. I have no fee agreement with my lawyer to draw a partnership agreement, which was fairly standard, and I got a bill for 30,000 rand for a partnership agreement. The question to gents is, in what cases are you entitled to assess? Now, you're both on the assessment committee. When do you assess another lawyer's account, and what do you look at when they bring this account to you? Maybe we kick off with you, uh, Jaime. Thank you, Gary. We have a situation of Litigious and non-litigious work. Yes. Uh, non-litigious work has not been defined in South African courts. There is, however, a judgment that comes out of the English courts uh, where they have they refer to it as contentious business and non-contentious business. Contentious business means business done whether by an attorney or an advocate, in or for the purpose of proceedings begun before a court or before arbitration. In other words, uh, simply, or as a general rule rather, uh, it would relate to litigation, we talk of lit litigious work, litigation in the Magistrates' courts, the High Court, arbitration proceedings, uh, where summonses have been issued and the matter is then either comes before the court or settled prior to 
uh, to the court. So just to simplify time, the uh, litigious work is where people are fighting one another. Correct. Correct. And non-litigious is where you're drafting an agreement, an like agreement. a partnership agreement. Correct. It's, Correct. There's, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing uh, um, that's, that's going to put a fire in. That's going to land yeah. up in a court of law. Yeah, that's uh, a, just a simple agreement simple that we agreement. want done. Uh, okay. Now, they come along, and uh, the lawyer sends him a bill for 30000 He says, I, I, my fee rate is 3000 an hour. I did two hours research. I did four hours of, of, of writing the agreement. I had a consultation with you. I had another one afterwards. I had to do this and that. And, mm-hmm. and it comes to 10 hours, and that's my fee. The client goes crazy. It says, don't be ridiculous. It's a standard partnership agreement, for goodness sake. So they land up at you or Lucas, who've been appointed very nicely, free of charge, by the Law Society to assess the, the account. That's correct. Who yeah. appears before you? Well, the attorney himself yeah. or herself, and obviously the aggrieved client yeah. uh, will appear before us. Don't uh, you have a fees agreement up front with your client? Well, this is our, the ideal situation. In fact, in every situation, it is vital that you obtain a fees agreement or come to an agreement with your attorney that you're at least alive to what his charges are and that you can, uh, you know, it's very difficult for attorneys to give you a quote on work to be done. Uh, they don't know how much time is going to be spent on it. They don't know what it entails, but particularly in, lit- in litigious matters, in litigation, yeah. where uh, you well, issue you, a summons. Yeah, that I understand. Let's yeah. just confine ourselves for to, now to, to an non- agreement, to, to a non-litigious, yeah. Well, simply put, yeah. uh, it's vital that we have you have the fee arrangement right up front with your attorney so you're aware of what you are in for. So what, what I like about this is... People, I mean, there are tons of people that are writing in that feel aggrieved by the fees that have been generated by attorneys, and they don't know what to do. Some people say report them to the Law Society. It's a very simple request. You write to the Law Society, Lucas, yeah. and you tell them I'm aggrieved, and then they set up this assessment meeting in your office. Yeah, Gary, that's, that, that's what I would normally do well, but maybe let me just go one step backward on one comment you made about the stand, and standard agreement. Yeah. I mean, I always say to clients, there's nothing called a standard agreement because once you approach an attorney for legal advice to say draft this simple agreement, it may be simple to the client, but the attorney must make sure that he drafted it and tailor make it for your specific needs. It may appear to be standard because maybe you can buy a standard one from PKA, from CNA, etc. But all, at all material times, an attorney must ensure that he produces the, 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 the right product, lest he may put himself and the firm at risk of being sued for professional negligence, etc., etc. But going back to the issue of how the matter would be tabled before a fee assessment committee, you lodge a complaint with the law society, and the law society would then direct the matter to the relevant fee assessment committee depending on the, on, on the province, of course. But where we are now, we fall within the northern provinces. But not each and every matter will be assessed by the fee assessment committee. Uh, uh, the rules of the attorney's profession, and particular Rule 28, is very specific as to what can be assessed, what may not be assessed. For instance, litigious matters generally are not being assessed because you can go and tax the relevant bill of cost. Uh, you cannot assess where you have a, a statutory tariff uh, for the particular matter or where there's a state official empowered to 
to to to to provide what the relevant fees are. Under those circumstances, you may not necessarily assess, except of course where the parties have agreed that the matter, the fees may be assessed by the law society, and that can be done once the the client is has lodged a complaint, or even in the fee agreement that the parties would have concluded at the very beginning when the client attorney get instructions, then at times most attorneys do regulate it there to say in case there's a dispute, the matter would be referred to law society for fee assessment. Okay, so let's take a case that comes before you, both of you gents. Jaime, you can answer this one. The lawyer has charged 5,000 rand for a divorce per hour. That's, and it's been agreed, it's signed for by the client. You know, my attitude to that situation is very simple. Uh, was the client, when he or she signed the agreement, in a position to make an informed decision? Uh, divorce matter, probably first time, first engagement with an attorney. Yeah. Arrives walks at in the attorney, frightened, yeah. Walks in frightened, uh. concerned, uh, mm. arrives at the attorney's office, has no idea of what the attorney's charges are. The attorney then turns around and says, my fees are 5,000 rand an hour. The client or the client in this situation has no idea of what the going rate is, signs this document uninformed. And my opinion is that an attorney who, who, where there is a situation where there is this mandate or the fee agreement, (laughs) the attorney must then advise the client of the various Options of well, the situations that may arise. For example, well, sorry, Hyman. A lot of people are going to take issue with this. They're going to say, surely it's not the lawyer's obligation to tell his client he can get it cheaper down the road. I'm not saying all the lawyer must say to the client is that compare, for example, the the tariffs laid down. This is going to go to court. The high court rules uh, have provision for a tariff of fees. So, assuming client is successful, your client is successful in the matter. the client in all likelihood will recover what we term party and party costs, yeah. and we can deal with attorney and client and party party at a later stage, but will recover the party and party costs. The tariff for fees lays down what the party and party costs are. The party and party costs are, for example, I think they're in the vicinity of about 260-odd rand per hour, per, per, quarter, per, quarter, per, yeah. per quarter of an hour, yeah. roughly a 1,000 rand an hour quarter, just over a 1,000 rand an hour. Yeah. The attorney is now looking at 5,000 rand. The client, even if successful in the divorce matter, will be paying the attorney for every hour 4,000 rand more than she's or he's she's, she's going to recover. recover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the attorney should convey this to the client so the client is aware of what the implications are of that 5,000 Has it happened to you? I'm and sorry. To, yeah, has it happened where this, this, this very scenario has happened where there has been an agreement to pay an amount per hour and you've reduced that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, unless, of course, the client was afforded the opportunity or informed at the time. Yes. Uh, and I've seen numerous fee agreements where they make provision for this. Uh, they cater, advise the client of there are cheaper options out there. Uh, so the client at the end of the day then has the choice yeah. as to whether she wishes to or he wishes to engage the attorney or not. Does the client feel that when they come to you as an attorney for an assessment, you are actually judging, Lucas, another attorney? Uh, do they feel they're getting fair treatment there? Yeah, I get it. In most instances, I mean, as... A, a member of the committee, we go at length to explain to the complainant 
why we are there, our specific duties, particularly that we are not there to protect the attendant because most complainants have a feeling that because we are dealing with a colleague, we may be protective of a colleague. But mm. that's why we have an obligation to go as at length, to explain it in simple language. Yes. And, and, and afford the complainant as much opportunity as possible to put his or her case across because he is the the principal for the day or she's the principal for the day that's why you have to you 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 must have his confidence in you that you will be fair to the, but to answer your question yes that generally clients get the comfort that they're getting fair justice fair, ju- fair justice okay the Sorry, um, Gary, just yeah, interrupt. Sure. very yeah. often at these fee assessments yeah. uh the client is represented by yes. cost consultants who are specialists in their field mm-hmm. uh, who draw, for example, bill of costs for attorneys. They are well aware of the charges. They are engaged by the client to represent them at these fee assessments. And that's allowed? Absolutely. It's a good idea, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Does it help? Is it helpful to you yeah, as, as assessors? Yeah. Very helpful, Gary. In fact, just to add to our time, I said, I mean, other than a cost consultant, some of them are even represented by attorneys themselves. Oh, really? So, yeah. so, in fact, they are allowed to bring anybody and everybody who they believe will be able to assist them in presenting their case across. Uh, what kind way. of, I mean, you guys are in, in the Ivory Towers in Santon. What kind mm-hmm. of fees are lawyers charging that you see in, in Johannesburg, Santon? Well, Gary, if I can uh, come in at the stage, in the, in the process of fee assessments, I've seen fees ranging from 950 rand an hour by attorneys right up to the 6,000 rand mark plus, uh, in some cases over 6,000, 6,869. For what kind of case was the lawyer charging 6,800? Well, six, the matrimonial matters, they are 6,000 really? plus. Uh, commercial matters, they are 6,000 plus. Uh, it varies. Do you find the same thing, Lucas? Yeah, I find, I find the same thing. In fact... It's uh, in the assessments I've done. It's seldom, in fact, to find that uh, the big law firms' fees are assessed. My, you know, compared to the one to five men partnership. I mean, those are the one the ones that one assess them from time to time. I don't know whether I has the same experience because, you know, I think the advantage with the bigger law firms is that from time to time, when you have an issue with a client around fees, you sit with client and have a discussion. And uh, at times I get the feel that the one, two men partnership, you know, I don't know what the challenge is, but the clients take a very aggressive approach. Hmm. Yeah, well, maybe there's a shortage of money with the smaller practices. Possibly. I just want to mention one thing, and I've got some stats for of the attorney's profession. There's a total of 25,000 lawyers in South Africa. White attorneys make up 59%. Black attorneys make up 41%. But listen to this. Candidate lawyers... Of which Lionel is one. Yeah. Uh, white candidates make up 37% and black candidates are making up 63%. So it's, the balance is, is changing, obviously. And then uh, uh, the, um, they go into the total firms. There are 12,000 total firms of lawyers and sole practitioners. There are 10,000. So that means the majority of lawyers, the overwhelming majority, yeah. are one-man shows. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Uh, 20 to 49 lawyers, there are only 15. And uh, more than 50 attorneys, there's only 17. Hmm. Yeah. Sure. 
So mainly it's sole practitioners and then two to nine attorneys, 2,000 of them. Yeah, those are the stats. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I think this was done by LexisNexis or in conjunction with the Law Society. Great. Another very uh, interesting one people ask is who goes to court? Do I need a lawyer or an advocate? 25% of attorneys that were interviewed by LexisNexis in one of these polls they did uh, said they appeared in court. That means that only a quarter of lawyers actually appear in the high court. Today, lawyers can appear in the high court as can advocates. Absolutely. Yeah. If they have yeah. the right of appearance, they can certainly do so. Yeah. Um, why don't more lawyers appear in court? And what is the difference between a lawyer, an attorney lawyer and a barrister advocate? <laughs> Quickly, I mean, most people know, but there's some who don't. What is the difference? Who wants to take it, Lucas? Look, uh, a lawyer refers to everybody who has studied law, generally. I mean, everybody's a lawyer who has studied law. Mm. Uh, an attorney, to, be, to qualify as one, you have to serve articles under a principal who would be a qualified attorney for a period of two years where you have to write your board exams and pass and qualify, then you would be, uh, you'd qualify as an attorney. As an advocate, you've got to serve your pupillage under a qualified ad- advocate, and uh, then you'll have to, once you pass your, bo- your board exam again, then you qualify also as an advocate. In the past, there's been a practice where Historically, advocates have been the ones appearing in the high courts until attorneys were allowed to have right of appearance. And uh, because of the history, most attorneys even today still brief advocates in high court matters to appear on their behalf. You know, Lucas, that pisses off a lot of people. They say, but why do I need a lawyer and an advocate? The lawyer just sits there and takes notes. And there's merit in that. I mean, I'm one of them. Sometimes there is merit in that. And the the problem is that you, the the person, the client can't go direct to an advocate. He has to go through an attorney. I remember. Yeah, yeah, please go. Yeah. Bearing in mind that the attorney is always there to assist the advocate, help him in the preparation, uh, and is essential to be there and must in fact be there. Well, the the bar council rules. Provide for that. He has to be there. Many, many years ago, I had a client who wanted tax advice from an advocate who was a specialist tax advisor. So they phoned me. They said, we want to go and see advocate so-and-so. So I said, yes, but I have to send someone with. They said, but why? I mean, he's just going to sit there and learn because he can't contribute anything. It's a serious tax issue. And that's the way it is. They had to pay our fee and the advocate's fee. It's the way the world works. You, if you want to, then you have to find an attorney who does court work and appears in court himself. Then you obviate uh, Absolutely. both. Yeah. I think we have choices, and people should know this. You don't have to go to an advocate if you can't afford it. Go to an attorney who appears in court and does court work Absolutely. in the high court. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, generally, I would say inform the client about why he needs an advocate because uh, most advocates come on board generally on the recommendation of the attorney simply because of the nature of the matter. Yes. You know, so, uh, and, and at times it's safer for the attorney to bring in what I would call a leader, you know, to come in and deal with the heavy loading in a case because it's not each and every case, of course, where you need an advocate. I mean, there are many, the, the complaints that are coming in through legal talk and all that is it's a question of cost, and I don't think the public is being informed what their rights are. They go to a divorce lawyer, and then the next thing they're involved with an advocate because he's the one that's got to go and argue a Rule 43. Why? But he, 
you know, you've got to brief a lawyer and then an advocate. So it's double cost. And the client doesn't really, Lance, you know this. Yeah. The client doesn't really understand why, but kind of maybe when he goes for an operation, there's the surgeon there and a doctor there or the but anesthetist. So he doesn't, can, yeah. Can I try to break it into do, a smaller, yeah. understandable yeah. Uh, example? It's more like uh, being a movie director and a casting agent and an actor. So yeah. the, uh, what the advocate would be mostly more of an actor because they understand the, Language in terms of what language to use in the court and they know how to present it in a far much better way as opposed to an advocate who can actually write the script. Mm. So I think that is just basically how you. you no, nice analogy. Yeah. I think one of the problems that I'm seeing is that lawyers, attorneys do not explain to the man in the street client who's the one who's complaining. But maybe what his rights are and what he can get cheaper as, as, as Jaime quite rightly mm. said earlier. But people also need to start asking themselves the questions. Go to the first lawyer, and if you feel that the price is not really um, within your budget, go to the second one. And also just find, do your own research, because the whole idea of actually trying to really make it upon that the liability lies with the attorney, it's a bit an unfair one, because they're in the practice of actually making money. They sell time. So at the end of the day, having to be explaining things over and over, it's going to really eat you. Know, you know what I feel, Lance? You make good points. Uh, what I feel is that uh, people should shop around. Yes, no, certainly. When it comes to lawyers, exactly. shop around like you would for anything else. And if someone says, I know such and such a lawyer who's great, just check out the fees. He may be great, but it's beyond your budget. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why, again, and I can't stress it more so, a fee mandate is vital. Yes, yeah. essential, and it must happen uh, before you engage the attorney. And very often what happens now is the attorneys are handing out these mandates, allowing the client an opportunity overnight to consider the matter, to look at it carefully, and then make the call. Uh, and they are then informed in these mandates of what the costs are likely to be. Uh, an attorney can't anticipate or or advise and say, well, you want a divorce that's going to cost you X rand. Uh, there are so many variables to take into account. For example, it may necessitate a, a, a summons, an agreement to settlement. Uh, everyone is, is able to resolve the matter within a short period, and the cost would be X rand. On the other hand, you have a situation where it's a defended, uh, opposed matter, goes to trial. Uh, it can take in excess of a year to get there. There are costs incurred throughout the process and at trial, and it is difficult to determine the cost factor in advance. So it's not a situation where you can approach the attorney and say, I want to divorce, what will it cost me? Mm -hmm. The attorney will then say, well, if, it, if it's undefended, uh, if there's no agreement and it's a simple undefended divorce and it's a, a quick fix scenario, the cost would be X. That, that would be a simple. But when it comes defended, and their costs involved, it could be substantially more than you bargained for. Yeah, I think one of the other things is there are a number of attorneys that are taking on matters that they shouldn't. It's not within their, level, their area of expertise. Therefore, they are charging the client for research, hours and hours of research, when in fact, if you went to a specialist attorney, he knows the law. Now, Absolutely. you must see that yeah. all the time, gents, where you, you, your account is full of research. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I mean good. I think the starting point for any client is anticipate that if there's a dispute between you and the attorney or your legal advisor in terms of fees 
one of the things that will have to be looked at is the contract that regulates your relationship in the free mandate that Heimri is referring to. Without that free mandate, you, you, there's going to always be a dispute. But also, consider going to a specialist, because if somebody is not a specialist, I mean, he or she will spend so much time in a matter. I mean, I, I recently had a fee assessment matter where an attorney was supposed to amend the trusted, which... And he was alleged to be a specialist in trusted. And one line item in terms of, uh, in the, in the account was research and yeah. confirming the law, etc., etc. And it's rubbish th- that line yeah, item yeah. alone yeah. cost, was, was supposed to cost land about 340,000. And, oh and, 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 and you're saying as a specialist, you should know it. You should know the law. Absolutely. Yes. If I want to mining law, I'm going to come to you. Because you know it. Exactly. Uh, I won't go to some other idiot who doesn't know it and is going to charge me hours and hours to research it. It's, it's a point well made. Yeah. I don't want to say an idiot, but yes. No. Your words, He's an idiot. No, they're Leonard. I agree. <laughs> and but your colleagues that you're referring to. <laughs> if he's going to research for hours and hours, he's an idiot. You should send him to Lucas and finish with but it. But again, again, on a serious note, you know, yeah. somebody who take 10 hours to research an issue, where a specialist who take five minutes to give the answer, you know, and you compare the two. And the specialist may charge you 10,000 rands for two hours' work, and uh, the non-specialist will charge you for 45 hours. Absolutely. You know, and this off. happens, and this yeah. is why we have the variables, where yeah. you get the 1,000 rand an hour situation where they have no knowledge, yeah. uh, spend 10 or 15 hours as opposed to the expert who spends one or two hours at 5,000 rand an hour. Let's talk about lawyers that are advertising. You see it uh, on carte blanche. Michael De Broglie, I mean, I, I single him out because his adverts are unbelievable. On a Sunday night, I watch carte blanche, and there's, there it is. These uh, ads are, are seriously expensive, I have, I have no doubt. And uh, the question to you guys is, we know lawyers are now advertising on TV, in, in, the, in the media, in print, uh, with big billboards. Can they go door to door, knocking on doors, saying, hi, I'm your local lawyer. Do you want to give me business? Who knows that one? Uh, Gary, <laughs> generally speaking, I mean, there's nothing precluding from advertising, but on, on the case that you have put forward, I would categorize it as touting. You know, it may amount to some form of touting which is not allowed in terms of the rules. Why, Lucas? What's the difference between the two? Gary, you know, how do you, I mean, you go door to door, you issue a business card, you're saying to people, um, and I know there's a thin line between the two, but I would I would categorize that as as, as really touted because you are now going door to door vis-a-vis a big billboard, or you're on TV, you are watching somebody say I'm advertising to not a specific person, but uh, you're, you're coming to my house, giving me a card and saying you know you know uh, in case you have a problem with Joe Cota, come to me. Mm. I think it's touted. I would categorize it as touted. I, re- I, I don't know what the rules say now. I remember the rules prior to the new rules, said that you cannot go door-to-door. I, I, it may have been removed now. I'm not sure. If there's someone from the Law yeah. Society that could just clear it for us. I don't think the old rules, there were also yeah. certain sizes. Yes. Uh, your writing had to yes. be of certain size. Your advertising, your on, advertising your building, yes. on your building had yeah. to be of certain size. Yeah, I think that may have changed. Just to mention that Legal Talk essay on their page, which is their web page, 
They offer legal services. Uh, you can consult an attorney there. He gives you an answer to one problem, and I think, I may be wrong, I think it's around 180 rand, which is a very good service, and they have genuine lawyers that are specialists in their field giving that advice. Legal Talk SA. Well done, Ray Green, the founder. Okay, we're pushing for every one of us. Um, I've got this leveled at me. We, we attorneys, when we do brief counsel advocates, we call them counsel and advocates, we choose our favorites, people that we believe in, people we like working with, people we think are smart. Often clients have said, do you get a cut from a kickback from your advocates? And I know you shook your head in, in, in fright, both of you. Uh, what's the answer? Absolutely not. Mm. Absolutely not. But you do get a kickback if you use a lawyer in another town. It's called a third allowance or a correspondent fee. Is uh, that, that still going? That tradition is yeah. falling by. Is it falling uh, by? Uh, it's yeah. still there, but yeah. uh, it's falling by. So you could get a – it was called a third allowance. A third yes. allowance. Yes. So whatever As a correspondent, th- they yeah. call it, correspondent work. Yeah, I think, I think we can really assure our clients and the public that lawyers do not get kickbacks. In fact, sometimes clients ask you for the brief – they want to check because we, you know, they want to see that's the fee that was charged. Whether the the advocate puts money in your back pocket or takes you hunting or not, well, that I don't know. Yeah, I mean, lines, you smile. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe that to be the case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not the advocate signer. Uh, Certainly not yeah. the advocate signer. Yeah, no good. Our ethical code is quite strict, mm-hmm. and I think we have to live by by that ethical code. And I'll be very concerned if. And attorney pays the advocate and gets the money the other way around. I mean, it, that, that, that would be quite serious. I mean, I've never heard of such a case. <coughs> Are lawyers still responsible for the advocate's account? And if, if the client doesn't pay, does the lawyer owe the advocate or, or can he refuse to? Now, yes, yes, that is the case. That is the case. That's still the case. Yeah. So once you brief an advocate, you've got to make sure. That's why lawyers often ask for the money in their the trust account. Yes. To get yeah. the, the money. So you, the relationship is between you and the advocate, and if the, if the advocate's not paid, he sues the lawyer? Correct, correct. I, I correct. believe that's going to change shortly. Yeah. yeah. There was a civil case, someone said, that was postponed because the magistrate had to go to a funeral. My lawyer said he could charge me for the full day as he reserved the day, even though I know he went back to his office at 10 o'clock. Well, how's that one? Interesting question. Yeah. Uh, if I may. You, you may, you may. Uh, I mean, interesting yes. question. The attorney, strictly speaking, is only entitled to charge for the time spent in the matter. In other words, uh, until the 10 o'clock. He's from the time he left the office until the time he returned, uh, for which the client would be liable. Advocates have a different approach to the situation in the sense that they have uh, retainer fees for the day. The attorney, however, is may prior to this all happening, advise the client that I'm reserving the day and I am charging for the day for which he would be entitled if that was the agreement. If there was no agreement Mm. and there's silence on that aspect, the attorney would only be entitled to a fee for the time actually spent in the matter. That would be from the time he left the office until... He came back at 10 o'clock, assuming he went straight to the hotel. What what always tickles me, and I'm a lawyer myself, so I've got to be very careful, is that there are eight hours a day during which the lawyer, you know, has to have lunch and he's got to go to the toilet and he's got to phone his wife and he's got to blow his nose and whatever, but he's billing much more than that. How does it work? (laughs) 
<laughs> None of you want to answer that one. He's he's billing twenty hours a day and he's only working eight. No, no, that's that's not the case. And that's you know, timesheets are kept by attorneys and when we are at these fee assessments, yeah. the attorneys come with their timesheets and their timesheets provide for the time actually spent not blowing their noses or speaking mm. to their wives, yes. but time spent in the matter. Okay, so yeah. So when when you assess someone, they've got to show you their timesheets. Yes, and, we can uh, call for that. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And you can even call for the entire file. You know, yeah. just to go through it and satisfy yourselves that what the client, what the attorney allegedly did, he did. Because sometimes the, the size of the file will just give you a sense, and you go through it. You can take it overnight and go through it and satisfy yourself. Something that really upsets clients, sorry, Jaime, is that. They can't if they, if they want to terminate an attorney's mandate because they're not getting on with him or his fees are too high. They can't get the darn file out of him until they pay what he says is owing. It's called a lien, L I E N. Correct. Is that is that the way it is? That's the way yeah. it is. Absolutely. Now, what happens if the lawyers charge you an exorbitant amount of money that you don't have, but it's a divorce? You need to get your papers to go to a cheaper lawyer or a better lawyer. I mean, are you stuck? Well, if you're desperate for your file, the best way of dealing with it is probably paying under protest. Yes. Uh, or putting then, it into trust. Or putting it into trust, and pending the, yeah. the assessment or the, the taxation of a yeah. bill of costs. Yeah. You agree with that, Lucas? Yeah, because God, I agree with him. I mean, there's nothing precluding a client, by the way, taking the metaphor assessment even after you have paid. Uh, there's nothing precluding. You can still, as he correctly put it, uh, pay under protest. I mean, you gents get a lot of these assessments, don't you? It means that the public, I mean, this is just in your area, the public's a bit unhappy about the fees that are being charged generally by attorneys. You nod your headlines. Is that the perception that attorneys are very expensive? It or? is. It is, especially mostly, uh, mostly in the areas where people don't have access to justice and they only try to really go to lawyers whenever they're under pressure. So you'd find that they really certainly don't have the, the, the finances to really um, afford a, a, an attorney. And the pro bono ones, they are perceived to be not so good in their own eyes, but you'd find that actually they are quite competent. Well, there yeah. is, of course, the legal aid there for indigenous right. persons <laughs> yes. uh, which cater for that. I just want to point out, Yes, Gary, please, yeah. you know, we were talking earlier on about uh, fee assessments in the sense of costs improperly incurred or without reasonable cause, are not recoverable from the client. In other words, if the attorney, <coughs> the work the attorney does proves to be fruitless, mm. uh, the attorney cannot look to the client to recover those mm. fees. And that's the reason why very often we call for files, uh, we look at the situation and we determine, was this work necessary? Uh, were all the correspondence in the file necessary? Unnecessary correspondence you cannot charge for. Yes. Engaging with counsel, with advocates all the time, unnecessarily. Yes. Phoning them all the time and getting uh, or asking them to do work, which should be done by the attorney, mm. is unnecessary costs and are not recoverable. I love what you say. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, you look at all that. And all these People shouldn't be shy to come forward and say, listen, assess this account for me because I'm not happy with it. Absolutely. What about if a lawyer loses the case? He still gets his fees. That's not dependent. Yeah, it's, it's not a, a win-loss situation. The patient dies on the table, yeah. the doctor still gets his fees. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Lovely. <laughs> Lanzu, yeah. That was a great example. <laughs> 
As someone wrote, um, I'm going to just, it's Beverly. She said, five years ago, I paid a lawyer 30000 as a retainer for a case at the magistrate's court. He made one appearance in court for exactly two minutes. Nothing was resolved. Since then, I've not heard a word from him. I've emailed him many, many times. She says, he ignores my emails. How should I proceed with this, she says. Fee assessment if it's non-litigious. And if it is litigious... Call for a tax Well, let me tell you what happened here. One of the members, and I, I'm not going to mention his name, one of the posters said this. He said, I've heard the law societies are toothless, can only recommend the attorney pay it back, and if he doesn't, then one has to sue. Wouldn't I be throwing good money after bad? So, so the question goes. Just clear up, the law society is not toothless. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think they do a darn good job in Absolutely. very, very difficult yeah. circumstances. Uh, yeah. I mean, Gary, just to yeah. take it to another level, I mean, I've heard this con- the statement that the law site is toothless a few times. Uh, one practical reality is, say we assess the fees of an attorney, and it has happened, Benheim, I think, will agree that he has found where an attorney is found to be to have overreached that line. You look mm-hmm. at the invoice, you say, this overreaching. What then happened is that matter will have to be referred to law society, and the law society, uh, there, there will be a recommendation that that attorney be called before a disciplinary committee. So it has far, far-reaching implications. How do you get your money back from that attorney if he says he hasn't got it? Does that happen? Is it your obligation when you assess to say to the attorney, write out a check? Or? No. No, we can't no. force payment. Can't force you just payment. assess, and then it's yes. up to the guy to get his money. Exactly. If it's a mm. struggling lawyer, he may not have the money to repay. Yes. Uh, it does happen, I guess. I'm sure it, it does must happen. happen. I'm sure it must happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been so interesting. We're running out of time. Well, we've run out of timelines. Uh, Jens, before we go, anything for our, for our listeners? I think our, our, our clients and, and, and the public down there must have confidence in the law site and also in the processes there, including the fee assessment committee. They're not there to protect attorneys, but they're just there to serve the public. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Indeed good. So. Uh, many thanks to you, gentlemen. And just one yeah, last yeah, sure. Go ahead. You mentioned a case, a situation of somebody attending to his own work. Uh, I must quote Abraham Lincoln here: "He who is his own lawyer has a fool for a client." Uh, yeah, one of the issues yeah. that were raised uh, by one of your listeners yes. is that uh, can I represent myself in court? Mm. Uh, certainly, he can. But uh, he'll be ill-advised to do so. I must tell you something. Many years ago as well, I had a client who was up for, um, he, he, I think he committed a theft and he got a heavy jail sentence. It was like 10 years he got. And uh, he came to me and he said he wants to go on appeal on sentence only. And I said to him, your best bet is to go on your own. Because stand in front of the judge, let him see your face. And you may get a lighter sentence. Whereas if I go, or my advocate goes, it's cold. And he went on his own and they cut the sentence by half, something like that. So there are times, um, genuinely, where people should go themselves and stand in front of the judge because we're human beings. Let the judge see that we, who we are. Great. It's great advice that I've used it a few times. Yeah. But you've got to be humble. Don't be balkers and act all big. Well, I lost, I lost out on a fee there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but many times I've said to people, especially in matrimonial matters, I said, I think you're better off in this case. And, you know, you, you help them. You prepare the case for them. You give them all the law. And then sometimes they've got to do it on their own, yeah. get a better result.
Okay. I'm slating the attorneys. Not true. <laughs> we love our brothers' lives. Yeah. True. Okay, many thanks to our guest today, Lucas Moalusio of Fasken Martinou. How do you say it in French? Martinou? Uh, uh, Martinou. Carry your spot on Martinou. Martinou. Have you been to Canada? Yes, I have yeah. been there. To, to the head office? Yes. It's, uh, which, where is the head office? It's in Toronto. Oh, lovely. How many lawyers in that office? Uh, it's close to 50, 60 lawyers. I'm talking about the partners, but all the lawyers, there are over 200. Wow. But globally, Amazing. I mean, we are about over 700 lawyers. Worldwide, uh, worldwide yeah. Yeah. Okay, you weren't established in 1812, though. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Jaime Chait as well of Fair Bridges, Wertheim Becker. Many thanks to Lionel, Mokoko Klele. Thank you, Lions. Au revoir. Au revoir. And to, in, to our controller, <laughs> Palessa. I'm Gary Hertzberg. Till next time. Cheers. Cheers. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law, like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life. With Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com Presenting the Attorney's Fidelity Fund and the Attorney's Insurance Indemnity Fund on CliffCentral.com Your champions in the legal profession. I'm Gary Hertzberg, and this is the Laws of Life on CliffCentral.com. Alongside me today, Lionel Makokotlela. Welcome, Lions. Dumela, Gary, and Dumela to our podcasters. Cool. Today, uh, we are highlighting once again the Attorneys Insurance Indemnity Fund. And uh, over the last few weeks or days or whatever, weeks, yeah, we've uh, we've heard how the uh, the Attorneys Insurance Indemnity Fund, which I'm going to call the AIIF, their primary purpose is to provide all attorneys with a primary level of professional indemnity insurance. And uh, this protects both the attorney who may be negligent or botched a claim or something, or uh, it, and it also f- uh, protects the client, and it helps the client get back a primary loss that they may have suffered. The AAIF has an added service to the public and the profession, and that is that it also provides bonds of security to attorneys who are appointed as executors of deceased estates within certain limits. And uh, today, we are delighted to highlight this very service. And joining us in studio is Ms. Zodwa Mabata. She's executive bonds executive of the Attorneys uh, Insurance Indemnity Fund. Welcome to you. Thank you, Gerrit. Thank you for having me. Cool. I think we know that when a person dies, his estate has got to be administered and distributed in terms of his will or failing a valid will in terms of interstate succession. And this is very often done by an attorney. And the proper administration of that deceased estate is then supervised by the master of the high court. Now, the master of the high court has the power to direct that an attorney must take out a security bond with yourselves. Yes. And that's how it comes about. He says, 
to the attorney, get yourself a security bond. Explain to us what that security bond actually is. Okay. Uh, the security bonds that we issue, they are limited to where the attorney is appointed as the executor and deceased estate, as we've indicated. It is a guarantee which is given to the master of the high court to say in the event that the attorney doesn't properly administer the estate or if they misappropriate the assets in the estate, then the AWF will stand in their stead and make right for that estate. Cool. So we know that sometimes the heirs who are expecting their money, their inheritance, have little or no experience. I mean, first time daddy's just passed on and they're going to get money. Uh, they're very com- completely, should I say, reliant on their lawyers yes. to help them. Their lack of experience is lack of awareness, and it offers an opportunity to some very crooked lawyers to dip their hands in the cookie jar, as we say, which is what is happening. And that is the protection that you are offering the public by saying, go ahead and deal with the attorney, because if he does dip his fingers, you covered. Am I right about that? You are right. Uh, the, the bonds will cover the way the attorney either administers the estate negligently or where they do still from the estate itself. As a lawyer and Lionel as a candidate attorney, it, it's, it's heartbreaking to hear that there are lawyers who are entrusted with money in trust that are stealing. Horrible, horrible, horrible. But I suppose that's life. And fortunately, it's not the majority of lawyers. It's a small percentage. You come across some of these cases. Give us an idea of what you've seen and what lawyers, what, you know, what are the facts of those cases? For us, Gary, yes, it is very concerning. And indeed, it is in those estates where the families really need the monies, uh, mm-hmm. where they're taken for a ride by the attorneys. Um, but the, Majority of our claims that we're experiencing as the AWIF as well as on the AFF side, it's really coming out from misappropriation by the attorneys. Mm. And some of these things that are coming out, it's purely because the attorneys are not paying proper attention and they're not supervising the staff in the offices that are dealing with the matters. For instance, we had a matter in Bloemfontein, a firm of attorneys in Bloemfontein, where they put in about eight claims. And it was because the lady that was entrusted with running the the administration of the estates was not supervised. She was writing out checks to the S in these different estates and going with them to the bank. And as they cash the checks, she would then say, okay, you need to give me so much from that. She was taking a cut on that? She was taking a cut on what they were supposed to get. Yeah, oh my Mm. word. So it wasn't the lawyer himself, it's dishonest employees that, yes. that are protected as, you're protected against dishonest employees as well. That's correct. So you, the, it's the practice that's kind of got the insurance and not the lawyer himself. It's not just based on the lawyer because we do understand that the work is not just the lawyer that will work with it. Yes. But we wouldn't issue where the law, the lawyer will take it out to one of his friend's firms. So it's always limited to that firm. What happened to that woman? Did she get a jail sentence or what, what, what goes on practically? What goes on practically from our side is a criminal case has to be opened mm. and we do notify the law society as well of the claims and we pursue a recovery action against the attorney. 
So, so the lawyer had to pay back all that money, even they though, had, yes. and then he's got a right of recourse against his employee. Yes. Um, the last I heard from that attorney, the, the lady was criminally charged, and she was going to spend some time in the facilities of the correctional department. Yeah, someone near Kronstadt or someone. <laughs> it's called the law of subrogation when an insurance company claims back from the person they've paid out. Yes. So if you pay out an attorney, you claim it back, really? Yes, we do. Yeah. We do, especially where we only claim back if there's misappropriation, not where there's negligence. If it's negligence, we understand that's, that's what we're there for, but we're not there for people to be dipping their fingers. No, disgraceful that. Dodgy lawyers stealing millions from clients is, has been making headlines in South Africa over the years. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was one guy in the Cape who had practices in Mitchell's Plain and Gordon Bay. I read about this as well. And he received huge amounts into his trust account, and then he paid it out, I don't know, to his friends or something, or I don't know who he paid it out to, but he stole the money. It's disgraceful. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> what about um, negligence? I mean, can an attorney, is there, do you find that there are actually claims based on negligence? What loss would there be, really? There are negligence that come out of negligence. Um, for instance, the, the matter that it was there recently, it was an attorney who didn't do proper diligence of the people that were supposed to be the family of the deceased. So a lady approached his office and claimed to be the sister of the deceased. Mm. He didn't do his investigations. And before the master's office could say to him he is allowed to distribute the the estate assets, he paid out to the incorrect party. And when the actual family came, he had already paid out. So you compensate that that very sad family that uh, kind of were going to lose their money. You compensate them. Yes. And, and they, indirectly, they get their money eventually from you, from the fund. Indirectly, yes, they do mm. because the bond of security is issued in favor of the master of the high court. Yes. So the master of the high court will then approach us to yeah. put in that claim. And once we've done our assessments and everything, the money is paid according to the directions of the master. Excellent. Yeah. Good. It's a good one, this lines. Uh, it is. People can deal with lawyers uh, knowing that there is cover if the lawyer should do something wrong or be negligent. No, that's great. And it's also great for them to actually take the initiative to share the information and knowledge with the general public just so that they become better equipped, so that they, in, in their decision-making, they are well-equipped. Zodwa Mabata, is there anything you'd like to end with or do we say bid you farewell and say thank you very much for enlightening us here it's it's an important aspect this Mm. I think if I can just add that the public uh, who've had deceased estates in their families they need to not just simply sit back and say the attorney is dealing with it they need to ask questions and follow up on those estates and if they're still not sure they can approach the offices of the master to check what's happening with that estate. Yeah, do you remember we interviewed uh, Attorney Arnold Shapiro? He said yes. that the master's offices of in the mornings are available to the public, That's not in right. the afternoons. Yes, it's mm. from uh, 8 until 1 o'clock yeah. in the, mo- uh, in the Please, afternoon. Please, if you feel that someone's messing with you and your estate or, or, and or your money, please go to the master and he will check it for you. He's the boss. That's he right. Is. Yeah, he's the boss. Good. Today, we're the bosses, and uh, we're going to have some lunch now. 
So uh, many thanks for being here, Lionel, and to you, ma'am. We appreciate it. And to the Attorney's Indemnity Insurance Fund. Well, have I got it wrong? No, you got it right. Yeah, cool. As always. Thank you for this. See you next time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Law, like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on cliffcentral.com. This is cliffcentral.com.